to episode 51 of the Online Chicken School podcast. Today, we're talking about what to do when your chickens just won't go to bed. And we're going to take a look at simplifying our flock. It's time for the Online Chicken School podcast. Whether you've been keeping chickens for years or you're just fixing to get started, we'll help you get your schooling. And now, here's the chicken tenders, Don and Susie. Hello, I'm Don, the big chicken tender. And I'm Susie, the little chicken tender. If you're interested in backyard chickens, you're in the right place. It doesn't matter if you have a whole lot of chickens out in the country or just a few somewhere in the city. This is where we share our knowledge, experience, and opinions to help you get the most out of your backyard flock. Okay, I want to start off the show today talking a little bit about our chicken coops. If you're a regular listener, you know we have a total of nine chicken tractors ranging in size from 4x8 up to 8x12. The one thing about having a lot of chicken coops is that you're eventually going to have to do a lot of chicken coop repairs. Yes, you will. And even though we use like the best materials, you know, it's not like we bought all these and they were made of particle board and just slapped together. I mean... Even if you build a really nice coop out of really good materials, there's things that are going to kind of deteriorate a little bit that need some updating. Well, and not only do chicken coops sort of decay, you can't rule out the fact that sometimes the big chicken tender is not paying attention. (laughs) Really? And breaks one of the coops. No, that's impossible. (laughs) (laughs) That actually happened with one of them, uh, one of the big 8x12 coops. The way I've built all our chicken tractors is they sit on skids and you just take and pull them with the tractor. Well, the thing with the skids is you need the two skis on each side to be a little higher than the rest of the coop. Mm -hmm. And naturally that means under the front and under the back, you have a little bit of airspace there that something could just kind of squeeze its way under to get at your chickens. Right. So I created these little flaps that drop down to protect that when they're just sitting in one place. Well, one time I went to move the one chicken tractor And I was a little bit of a hurry, and I kind of forgot to pick that flap up. (laughs) That flap got jammed underneath the chicken tractor and just basically ripped it all to pieces. Yeah, it kind of just sucked it right in, didn't it? It didn't take long either. (laughs) Well, I have actually done that. I've never told you, but I've actually done that once or twice where I'll have the flap flipped up, and then somehow it flips back down, and I'm not paying attention. And it'll kind of suck that flap underneath the tractor. But then if you give the tractor a nice little nudge... On one of the uh, on one of the skids, pops it right back out. Uh, I did not need to hear about that. (laughs) I don't do it very often. That's why I don't move the tractor or the the chicken tractors because I'm just so scared of breaking it. Well, I'll tell you another thing that happens is um, I grew up in central New York and we had about two and a half acres of yard there. Mm -hmm. And I was six years old when I started mowing the lawn. Hmm. Yep, at six years old, I was out on the riding mower mowing two and a half acres. And because I was six, (laughs) I wasn't allowed to work it in gear five. Right. You know, it had five speeds. I was allowed to do gear one. Oh my gosh, that'd take forever. Maybe gear two. You may allow me to do gear two. Let me tell you, gear two, excruciatingly slow when you got two and a half acres. It's like going through a school zone when you're uh, driving. Yeah. (laughs) Unbelievable. And to uh, a six-year-old brain like mine, which is just go, 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 Mm -hmm. that was torture. You still have that six-year-old brain, though, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> well, and then when you got older, you graduated to also doing the trimming with the trim mower. Oh, that's not fun. And once you moved up to that chore, 
you learned pretty quickly that the closer you mow to things, <laughs> the less trimming there is later, if mm-hmm. you know what I mean. So I think I do. You learned how to get that mower really, really close to all the trees and really close to the property line and the well and everything else so that you had less to trim by hand later. Yeah, still something you do to this day. Yes. Very, very close. It, it makes me kind of cringe once in a while. Yeah, and, it's, and the problem is it's so ingrained into me that I can't stop it. Mm-hmm. Because think about this for a second. The way that it works with the chicken tractors is you got the chicken tractor sitting in the middle of the yard. I mow around it to get the grass all nice and, you know, short before we move it. Mm-hmm. And then when I'm done mowing the lawn, I move the chicken tractors. Right, with the tractor. With the tractor. And then the last thing I do is use the tractor to go over that spot that just got revealed by moving the tractor. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay? So there's no hand mowing at all. I could stay five feet away from the chicken tractor, and it doesn't increase my workload at all. Because once I move the chicken tractor, then I'm just going to drive over that spot that, I, that just got left bare. You can't help it. But I can't help it. I have no. to drive really close to the chicken tractors. I go <laughs> as close as I can. And the problem with having a zero turn is... Oh, you have so much control over almost moving the thing sideways. Uh-huh. So it tempts you to go even closer and closer. And I'm like trying to get to where there's not even a blade of grass between me and the tractor when I go by it. Oh, well, you know what? You're the one that has to repair them when uh, you accidentally get a little too close. Yeah. And that has happened. Every once in a while, I'll kind of nick the coop a little bit. <laughs> and that has happened. And once I accidentally busted open a nesting box. <laughs> So anyway, all that to say, things happen. Mm -hmm. And so over the past month, I've been doing a lot of repairs all at one time. For some reason, I just kind of let the repairs wait Mm -hmm. and decided to do them all at once, which was really a brilliant move on my part. (laughs) That's a lot of chicken coop repairs at one time. Uh And so that's been keeping me busy over the last uh, month or so. Now, one thing this brings up for me, though, the reason I bring this whole situation up is the fact that, you know, people get intimidated by the idea of building their own chicken coop. Mm -hmm. And so people always, like, first thing they go to is, I'm going to buy a chicken coop. Well, yeah, we get a lot of questions like, listen, I'm getting chickens. I'm not handy. I, you know, tell me what chicken coop is really good out there, but for, you know, less money than what I'm seeing. Yeah, because, you know, the first thing you think is I want to go buy a chicken coop instead of build one. I'm going to save a ton of time and get, I'm just going to focus on getting my chickens and bang, I'm going to be done. And then you realize that that chicken coop is going to cost more than your first car did. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden you're like, well, maybe I could build my own, but it's still kind of intimidating. Sure. This brings up one of the nice things about building your own coop is that once you've built a coop and realize it's really not that big of a deal, mm-hmm. well... Three years later, when it's kind of rotted or falling apart, or six months later, when you whack it with a lawnmower, <laughs> you're not intimidated about getting in there and saying, all right, well, now I got to fix this thing. I'm just going to take that piece out. I'll replace it with this piece, or I'm going to you know, do something to fix it. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you just go buy the coop, now what are you going to do? You know, Because those right. are going to rot as well, and you're just as likely to hit those with the lawnmower. So things will happen. What are you going to do? Are you just going to throw away that $3,000 coop you bought? Yes. Or are you going to buy another one to replace mm-hmm. it? You know, the best thing you can do is to get in there and say, all right, well, I'm just going to take out the parts that are bad and I'm going to replace it and, you know, get it all fixed up. Mm-hmm. And if you built it in the first place, that's not going to be intimidating. That's true. And another thing that is really nice when you build it yourself, you lose that intimidation because you go, oh, 
everything may not be completely straight or whatever, but it works and I did it. And then you put it out and like a month later you go, man, I really wish I would have done this. And in our situation, it was adding a door to the other side of the chicken tractor. Right, yeah. The very first chicken coop I built was one of the 8 by 12 ones. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't start small and work my way up. I started with the biggest thing I could possibly think of to build. Well, yeah, because we were only going to have enough chickens that would fit in that one chicken tractor. And that was a long time ago. Yeah, it seems like it. (laughs) Yeah, remember those days? It's like, Uh, we're just going to have six chickens and that's mm, it. I remember those days. (laughs) We were so young and foolish. (laughs) Rabbits have a certain reputation. Mm -hmm. They get nothing on chickens. That's true. Chickens keep multiplying even when there's no rooster around. I don't know how that happens. <laughs> I think I do. <laughs> just keep Every time you turn around, there's more chickens. Darn farm stores. So then every time I built another coop, I would think, you know, I could improve this by adding this or changing this up a little bit. So it got to the place that, you know, the last chicken coops we built were the nicest ones. And the first ones you started not to like as much because they didn't have <laughs> as many of the nice features that you thought of as you were building more coops. Mm-hmm. And I just want to share a couple of those because if you're thinking about building a coop, you're going to want to think about these ahead of time because you probably aren't going to build nine coops. You're more likely I'm going to build one and it's going to be in my backyard. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to have the experience (laughs) of going through so many generations and improving it each time. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the big ones that you mentioned was make sure you put a door to the run area. Mm -hmm. That first coop I designed, I had a door that went to the coop area that you could climb into. Right. And then... The run did actually have a door, but the door was between the coop and the run. So the only way to get into the run was to go through the coop into the run. Yeah, that wasn't fun. And let me tell you, uh, who was the one that always had to do that? Well, I think just to make it easier, you should pick the smallest person on your chicken keeping team. And let's see, we have the big chicken tender and the little chicken tender. Um, Let's go with the little one. Yeah, so I was crawling my butt through the chicken coop through the door into the run, trying to get one of the chickens. Because of course, when you're trying to get a chicken, they're not the smartest creatures, but they do know just how long your arms are and how far you could reach. And they will put themselves just out of arm's reach. So there were times we had to, you know, actually climb in the coop and that was not fun. Yeah. So all the other coops I had built, I'd put a door on the run area so that you could get into them so, mm-hmm. you, so that you could get access to that area from the outside. Right. And so that's one of the modifications I made. I said, well, while we're making repairs, I'm going to make some modifications. And so I added a door into that one. Oh, so nice. Well, and another thing we had changed was uh, with that first coop, we had an internal nesting box. Mm-hmm. All the other ones, I used an external nesting box. And it's a lot easier to get to the nesting box to check for eggs if you don't have to kind of climb into the coop every time. Right. So I changed that as well. I added a nesting box onto the outside of the coop. Mm-hmm. And that's not such a big deal, but here is something that I learned. This yeah. is actually brand new. Mm-hmm. Um, with all the external nesting box designs I've done, I've tried a bunch of different ways. I cannot keep water out of the nesting box. Oh, it's terrible. Our rains down here in Florida They're more like summer monsoons. (laughs) I mean, they blow sideways. Sometimes it rains upward. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just crazy, crazy rain we have. And, you know, you try every logical thing. You know, they're all sloped correctly. Mm -hmm. I have roofing materials overlapping them so that if the rain's going in the right direction, it should flow downhill. And no matter what you do, I even tried putting 
like those rubber refrigerator seals yeah. around the nesting box lid mm-hmm. to form a seal. Guess <laughs> we, what? We also use like what air conditioning tape to go over the seam of the lid uh, where it meets the coop. Oh, we've tried everything. Everything. I could not get those stinking boxes to seal right. Mm-hmm. And so then I decided to try something different. You know, all those designs were where you lifted the lid up. The roof of the nesting box tips upward. Mm-hmm. In this last design, I said, I'm just going to try something different here. And I'm going to make it so that the little sloping roof on the nesting box is permanent. It doesn't lift up. Mm-hmm. And basically, the face of the nesting box, the one wall facing outward, I'm going to make it like a door. Hey. So instead of lifting the roof up, the roof stays in place and you just open a door on the side of the nesting box. Mm-hmm. A little bit different. So I did that, and that was like one of the first modifications I made yeah. probably a month and a half ago. Mm-hmm. So, of course, I made it just in time for the wettest part of the year. <laughs> of course. And you know what? We have not found one drop of water inside that particular nesting box. Yeah. When all the other ones were soaking wet, you go to that one, and it's completely dry. Now, the ironic thing is, the tractor that we have that nesting box on is for... Some birds that haven't even started laying yet. So <laughs> right. It's a nesting box that's not even being used. But it's the driest one we have. But it's the driest. I want to correct you a little bit. Okay. That nesting box is made of wood. There's no iron in it at all. Oh, the ironic part. Yeah, you said it was ironic, but actually it's made of wood. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you're funny. Well, I can't wait till they start laying because then it's going to be totally worth it. So if you live in a really wet area and you're going to build your own nesting box, that's maybe something to think about. Instead of like the lid opening from the top design, make like a little door on the side that you open and then just make sure that that lid on top overlaps it by a good inch or two so that the rain stays <laughs> out of the door. Well, sometime in the next couple of days, I'll have to go out there and take a couple of pictures of that so people can uh, really get an idea what you're talking about. And then I'll post that on our Facebook page. Okay, sounds good. Now, one of the other things that we noticed uh, when you were bringing one of the coops to the back to start some renovations is that something tried to dig underneath that tractor. Yeah, we've talked before about our dogs and how they keep all the predators out of the yard. And you can always tell when Max has something up a tree because he just doesn't even want to eat. He doesn't want to leave that tree for any reason. And he was obsessed by this one tree And nearby, there's the chicken tractor. And when you walked around, sure enough, there were some dig marks. It looked like something tried to dig under the chicken tractor, and Max interrupted him pretty quickly. (laughs) He didn't get too far. Yeah, but that's the first time we'd seen that. Yeah, usually he gets to him before that. So I don't know if he was just sleepy that day and didn't get there as fast as he usually does or what. But it's just a reminder that when you're out collecting your eggs every day Mm -hmm. or when you're opening up the coop in the morning, closing it up at night, Just take a quick walk around the coop and look at the ground around the base. Right. Because there are a lot of predators that will dig their way under a coop. Many of them can't quite dig all the way under in a night. Mm -hmm. So you may find where you've got a partially dug hole. And if that's the case, you're going to want to do something about that before they come back the next night and decide to start their excavation project back up again. Right. Well, for me, it was a reminder that we do have predators. You know, you kind of get complacent and forget because the dogs keep everything out. And you hear all these stories of people where a fox got my chickens, a raccoon, or this, and and you kind of get to that place. You're like, oh, it's so nice that we don't have any predators. Well, there's a reason. (laughs) And so uh, it was a nice reminder for me to be definitely a little more vigilant and on guard with 
putting them away at night, you know, locking them up because sometimes it's around 10 o'clock. It's like, oh, shoot, did I close up the tractor? Ah, they'll be fine. It's like, no, get off the couch and go close them up. You asked for it. Here it is. Okay, our first question for today comes from our good listener, Joe. He writes, we just got our chicks today. I ended up getting four of each, Buff Orpington, Will Summer, and Americana, for a total of 12 chicks. I figured if I was going through the trouble of raising chicks, 12 isn't much harder than six or eight. (laughs) That's true. I was wondering if I could ferment their medicated chick crumble. After a quick internet search, I found conflicting answers, so I thought I would ask you two. Well, Joe, that's a really good question. Uh, You go on the internet and you look for answers to anything, and it gets confusing because everybody has an opinion. Not many times are their opinions based in fact. It's usually all just, this is what I do, and I'm going to fight to the death because I think it's 100% the right thing to do. Yeah, you go do a search on something as simple as like, how to wash your car. (laughs) You think, how complicated can that be? Mm -hmm. But you'll get people fighting for 12 pages, hurling insults back and forth over, can you use tap water to wash your car? Or do you have to have bottled water flown in from France? (laughs) And people go back and forth and back and forth. And it's not even just like a, well, here's what I do. It's, this is what I do. And if you don't do it my way, you're an idiot. Your car will probably melt in your driveway. And you deserve it because you didn't do it my way. You know, the government should come in and take your car away (laughs) because you are an irresponsible car owner if you use (laughs) tap water to wash your car. Mm -hmm. And then you get into things like chickens and look out. So yeah, sometimes going to Google and trying to find an answer, you walk away more confused than when you started. Mm -hmm. Now, we had found the same thing that you were concerned about with the medicated feed. Can you ferment? medicated chick starter and what we found was that people were saying if you ferment it it actually loses that coccidia stat which is the medicated part so then you don't have the protection from coccidiosis well i think we should probably talk about that just really briefly the medicated part of a medicated feed is as susie mentioned is a coccidia stat some people think it's antibiotics It covers all the diseases, including Merrick's and everything else. The only thing that's contained in medicated feed is that coccidia stat, which slows down the growth of coccidia in the poo of chickens so that they can develop an immunity before it overwhelms their system and kills them. Mm -hmm. That's it. There's no antibiotics. There's no anything else. It's just a coccidia stat. So is that a big deal that if you ferment the medicated feed you lose the coccidia stat. Not necessarily. If you notice, they sell chick starter in both medicated and non-medicated. There are many, many, many people who only use non-medicated chick starter. They don't ferment their feed. They just use non-medicated chick starter because they don't want the coccidia stat. Right. And they raise happy, healthy birds over and over and over again, and it's never an issue. Mm -hmm. Personally, we do use the medicated chick starter. Mm Mm-hmm. And when we ferment the feed, the coccidia stat just gets not really washed out, but it becomes <laughs> neutralized mm-hmm. by the fermenting process. And therefore, they're not getting that benefit. Right. So you say, well, why would you use medicated feed then if you were going to ferment? And here's what we did when we did the fermenting project with our chicks. Um, when you give fermented feed to adult birds, what they say is 
you give them enough fermented feed that they can eat in 30 minutes. And then you take the feed out of the coop. And that should be enough nutrition for the entire day, whatever they can eat in 30 minutes. Well, now with the chicks, we were a little nervous about doing that. So we would give them the fermented feed. They would go insane and they would eat it all very quickly. But then we would also leave some of the dry medicated chick starter in the brooder as well. Yeah, I didn't like the idea of there ever being a moment that the chicks did not have access to food. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that that's the way it's supposed to be done. Plenty of people do the routine of give them the, the fermented feed for a while, take it away, and then they don't have food again for 24 hours. With growing baby chicks, I just don't like that. Right. You know, the thing about chicks is they're different than our dogs. If I put out a week's worth of food at one time, the dogs will eat the entire week's worth of food right? before they leave the bowl. Chickens aren't like that. Chickens, you can leave food out all the time and they'll eat when they're hungry. Mm-hmm. But the thing with baby chicks is that they're so young and that initial growth is so important mm-hmm. that I just didn't want to have a moment where they don't have access to feed. So I was, I just couldn't bring myself to the point of giving the fermented feed and no other food for another 24 hours. But the bigger question then is really... Do they need that coccidia stat? Mm. And the answer really is no. Like I said before, plenty of people raise their chicks with no coccidia stat. They never use the medicated chick starter. Mm -hmm. Now, when we do our classes, I recommend that if people are not going to use the medicated, that they really keep up with their brooder cleaning routine. Oh, yeah. Do not let the brooder get so unbelievably nasty that the coccidia have a chance of really overwhelming your birds. That's what it boils down to. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, in the first week when they're on paper towels, I usually change those paper towels every day. Right. And they're on the medicated starter. Yeah, you can't let those go two or three days. No. So, I mean, if we did a non-medicated starter, you know, I would really even consider sometimes changing it twice a day because they're little poop machines when they're right. chicks. And sometimes... Because they're so small, we'll have maybe 15 in a brooder. And they're not overcrowded, but that's a lot of poop. And they're all walking in it. Um, so you just want to be really, really careful when you don't have that extra protection to make sure you keep everything clean, like Don said, so that coccidia doesn't overtake them. And then you end up losing a couple chicks. Right. And and the thing is, you're not looking for a sterile environment either. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not looking for the... Uh, you know, hospital delivery room for baby chicks because they actually do need the coccidia. Right. If they aren't exposed to coccidia, they will never develop their natural immunity. And now they're going to have a problem when they go outside. Well, just like little kids and eating dirt. Yeah. You need to eat a little dirt as a kid or else you're like a sickly little adult. (laughs) So my mom always said, you're like, oh my gosh, I got dirt on my hands. Ah, it's good for you. (laughs) It's like if you grew up around Cleveland, Kids that swam in the Cuyahoga River when they were kids, I mean, they're bulletproof. You can't do anything to them because they like grew up in the most toxic river we know. And they glow in the dark, so they don't need nightlights either. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but their immune systems are so strong that uh, no disease ever dares even come within 10 blocks of them. <laughs> That's true. Same kind of idea. You want them exposed to the coccidia so they can develop immunity to it. So. You're never going to achieve that hospital-like cleanliness anyway, but that's not even your goal. You just don't want the brooder to get really nasty so that they get overwhelmed. So just make sure you keep up with the brooder cleaning routine. Mm -hmm. 
Now, I wouldn't go out and buy medicated chick starter just so that you can ferment it. There's really no point. You mm-hmm. might as well just start with the non-medicated. Right. The reason we fermented the medicated is it's what we had. Right. We had a giant bag of it, so we decided to ferment that, mm-hmm. which is no problem. But if your intent is to do the fermented feed, I wouldn't purposefully go out and buy medicated chick starter. I would just get the non-medicated to start with. That's right. So, Joe, I hope you find that helpful. And make sure you tell Nicholas, Anthony, and Grace that Don and Susie said hi. So our next email question comes from Christian in Nebraska. And Christian says, hey, guys, I just recently moved my first batch of chicks out to the coop and their run. This is their second night outside. And the second time I had to go out, catch them in the pitch black (laughs) and put them in their home. Will they ever learn to do this on their own? What can I do to encourage the learning process? (laughs) Well, Christian, we have had this happen several times. (laughs) You find out that some batches of birds are a little brighter than other batches. That's right. Yeah, I mean, you put them out there. This is the first time they've been outside, so they're a little overwhelmed. They're like children. They're not really thinking, oh, shoot, I better head back home. No, they're out playing in the street, playing kickball with their (laughs) friends. They don't see the lights go out. You know, they're just excited. Yeah, they don't know yet that when the streetlights come on, it's time to go back to the coop. (laughs) That's right. Like I said, we've had this happen a couple times where we've had to go out and the chickens will actually be laying right up against the coop on the outside of the coop. It is the funniest thing. You go out, you're like looking in the grass, you're looking in trees. Oh no, they're laying in a pile next to the coop. It's like birds, the door's wide open. Just walk three feet and go in. (laughs) Well, here's what we're dealing with. Couple little facts about chickens. One, they're absolutely blind in the dark. <laughs> That's true. They can't see in low lighting at all. Mm-mm. That's one thing. Second thing is, it is very unsafe for a chicken, especially in the wild, to be on the ground at night. Because mm-hmm. not only are they blind, now they are bait for anything out there that likes to eat chicken. I mean, they're just absolutely helpless. Mm-hmm. So it's important for chickens to get up into the tree before it gets dark Mm -hmm. and they're kind of programmed to do this so that's why if you have chickens for any length of time you know that they just find their way back into the coop every night and get up on the roost pole before it gets dark Mm -hmm. you don't have to go shoo them in there all you have to do is go close up the door and lock them up right what you're dealing with when birds first go out to the the coop is that they don't understand the timing of when it gets dark yet right They just got out there. They've been in your brooder for six weeks or so. And if you're like most people, they've had a light on 24 hours a day. Yeah, they don't know what this dark is. What what is this? What's happening? Yeah, they don't even have a concept that it gets dark. Mm -hmm. And so now you put them outside and it getting dark is kind of a shock to them. Yeah. So they're getting caught off guard is what's happening. They need... I think the longest we've ever seen is a week, mm-hmm. but they need at least a couple of days to sort of get the rhythm of, oh, this is the time it gets dark. Well, and one good way to help train that in them is for that first week, don't let them out. Exactly. You know, if you've got a coop and a run and they have access to grass and fresh air, just leave them in there so they kind of imprint on their coop. They understand this is home. This is where I'm supposed to be now. This is where I feel safe. I understand now it gets light in the morning and dark in the evening. So they get that all figured out before they get set free in the yard and haven't learned it. Yeah, especially since you have a run on your coop. There's no reason that they need to be outside of the run. You can really put them out there and then just let them stay in there for even up to a week. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and then you can be pretty sure that it's like, okay, they've got the rhythm of when it gets dark and they've imprinted on that. This is my home. This is home base. Right. So then when you let them out, they go out and they'll almost certainly come back. Right. Now you're already past that point because you've been letting them out. And yes, you will have to scoop them up and bring them back in <laughs> for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. So a couple times of doing this, you should be in the clear, but For other people who are listening, and if you ever decide to do this again, what we recommend, what we've come to recommend after experiencing this ourselves, is when you move them out there, just leave them in the coop in their run, leave them there for, you know, three, four, five days a week Mm -hmm. before you ever let them outside. And then they should find their way back in, no problem, once they get the rhythm of the daylight. You played an awful trick on our Delawares not too long ago. (laughs) That's true. Uh, I don't know how they all how old they are now. I mean, we've got so many chickens, it's hard to keep track. But when we first put the Delawares out, we had them in one of the larger coops up by the house. And there were five of them. And they're all females. And then Don was mowing the lawn and decided to move the coops around. But because he needed to make repairs on this one coop, he wanted to bring it towards the back. Well, the easiest way to move a chicken tractor is when there's no chickens in it. Well, especially when you're moving it like 600 feet. Right, yeah. You know, if you're going to move it 12 feet, you move it really slow with the chickens in it, no problem. But inching your way along over 600 feet, I would still be out there dragging it. (laughs) And it would be exhausting for their little chicken legs. Yeah, so what I do is put all the chickens out, let them go run outside, and then making sure there's no chickens left behind inside, I just hook up the tractor and I just floor it. Yeah. (laughs) I get that chicken tractor moving. We're going like eight miles an hour across the backyard. That's right. So the coop ends up in the backyard, way in the backyard. We open it back up so that they could find their way back in. But the problem is they're foraging all up around the house. Yeah. And Don says to me, well, I wonder if they'll find their way back to that coop. They haven't been in it all that long. And now it's so far away. I wonder if they're going to have trouble. Ah, they're smart birds. They'll they'll figure it out because they do like to roam the yard. They're real explorers. I'm like, they'll find it eventually. Well, plus I thought they can see it. It's not like it's around a corner or behind a tree. It's like, okay, it's right there. It is five, 600 feet away, but there it is. You can see it from here. <laughs> so it started getting, oh, around dusk. And I noticed they're walking around where the coop used to be. The big square <laughs> or rectangle. They're all kind of walking around, sitting down. It's like, this is where my coop was, and now it's invisible. Yeah. And I called Dot. I says, yeah, I don't think they're as smart as I thought they were. We thought it was kind of funny that they're like, hey, my house was right here. (laughs) Yeah. You know, my house got repossessed. (laughs) But then we waited a little bit longer, Mm -hmm. and this was not the first coop that they were in when they came out of the brooder. Right. When they first came out of the brooder, they went into another coop, a smaller coop, and they were there for about five weeks. Uh Uh-huh. And then they had just been upgraded to this new luxury- (laughs) The luxury condo. Yeah, exactly. So what they did, instead of finding their luxury condo way in the backyard by the barn- they went to where their old coop was, which was now occupied by other chickens. <laughs> now, it was closed up, so they couldn't get into it. But So what they did right before dark is they went to their old coop and just sat outside the hardware cloth staring at the chickens that are in their old home. Mm-hmm. It was kind of sad, but kind of hilarious. Yeah. So we had to pick them up one at a time, carry them to the backyard on the golf cart, and put them in their new home. 
Well, Christian, thanks a lot for the question. We had a lot of fun with that one. Okay, last thing before we move on, we got a quick message from Carrie, and she says, listening to your podcast all the way in New Zealand. All right. Another one to add to your list of countries. Love your podcast. I love New Zealand. I know that's always been on my little list of places I want to visit. And my parents are going there later this year. I am so jealous. They're going to uh, Australia and New Zealand. Carrie's message sort of prompted me to go take a look and see. I wonder where we're at with countries that are listening to us. Okay, let's hear it. We are up to 53 countries outside of the U.S. that listen to us. On purpose? Well, I assume so. Either that or there's like a bunch of Russians somewhere saying, this is not the Dog Whisperer podcast. What is this? (laughs) What is this chicken podcast? (laughs) Well, that's pretty cool. 53 countries. So anyway, Carrie, thanks for letting us know you're listening. And uh, if we ever do make it to New Zealand, maybe we'll call you and look for a place to stay. (laughs) That's right. Okay, well, this week we received a very nice iTunes review from 2112 Troy, and it goes like this. This show is one of my favorite podcasts to listen to. Don and Susie do a wonderful job of mixing education and comedy. (laughs) The information presented is very useful in chicken keeping, and they're always willing to share their own stories. Thank you for such a great show, Don and Susie. Oh, well, that's really nice. I just wish we could say the comedy was always intentional. (laughs) I know. But I'll take it. The next review comes from Stacy Joe SS, and she says, I am new to chicken keeping, got my chicks the end of July, and I've been reading and listening to everything I can find. Love listening to Don and Susie. They're a great podcasting team, and they're very informed on chicken keeping. I love that they are sharing their love for and knowledge of chickens. I started listening a couple weeks ago and have about six episodes before I'm current. My eight-year-old daughter even enjoys listening with me and laughs at Don's jokes. If you want to learn about keeping chickens, this is a great place to start. Well, Stacy Joe, obviously your daughter has great taste. <laughs> I don't know what it is with the uh, young audience we have. You know, we've got five-year-olds, eight-year-olds. They love us. I've always been told I have the wisdom of a much younger man. <laughs> well, Stacy Joe SS and 2112 Troy, thanks so much for the reviews. We really appreciate them. Okay, well, before we get to the main feature today, I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping on Amazon this week, consider going to our website first at onlinechickenschool.com and clicking on the Amazon link over there. And it's going to take you to the same Amazon site that you know and love, and you're going to pay the exact same price for the things you buy, but Amazon will give us a little bit of a commission, and this would really help us pay some of the podcasting bills. So if you like the show and you want to help us keep it going, just go to onlinechickenschool.com and click on the Amazon link to make all your Amazon purchases. Some of you are already doing this, and we really, really appreciate it. Thanks very much. There they go again. More shameless self-promotion. All right, well, every once in a while, our main topic is a little bit less of a how-to and more of a peek behind the scenes as to what we're doing with our own little chicken operation. And today is one of those episodes. Right. So today for the main feature, we're going to be talking about making some really tough choices on our little farm here and our effort to simplify. And I think to really put this in perspective, we need to recap our journey a little bit to kind of how we got to the crazy mess that we have now. Yeah. Why don't you do that? (laughs) Because I don't know how it happened. (laughs) Yeah. You just blinked and next thing you know, there's chickens everywhere. Mm -hmm. 
All right, well, the original reason we got chickens was just so that we would have some fresh eggs. Yes, that's all I wanted. Couple chickens, <laughs> couple eggs, totally happy. Yeah, the original plan was we're going to have six hens in the backyard. They're going to lay eggs. I'm going to eat them. And that's it. Life is good. Mm-hmm. That's not what happened. Fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, we became very attached to that first group of birds, and we kind of really realized that, hey, we like chickens. Mm-hmm. So we ended up with a few more chickens, and so we got the idea that maybe if we raise baby chicks, if nothing else, it'll help pay some of the farm bills. Right, yeah, because we wanted to be self-sufficient, so we wanted to be able to reproduce our own chickens for our laying flock, but boy- once you start getting, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 chickens, it starts getting really expensive. So you got to look for a way to kind of recoup some of that. And the baby chicks seem to really do the trick. Yeah. And the idea was never to have like this big full-time business. Mm-mm. You know, we each have full-time jobs and that's our, that's our livelihood. But we just wanted to sort of pay for the chickens we have and some of the other farm expenses and just sort of make it a little bit less of a budget drain. Right. Absolutely. Which... For all you that know how cheap I am, this was music to my ears. (laughs) And because we liked so many different breeds of chickens, that became a problem because if you're going to be hatching those out, you have to house them all separately. If you want to raise Rhode Island red chickens, you can't have your Rhode Island red hens hanging out with the gold lace Wyandotte rooster. (laughs) No. So what that meant is, you know, we ended up with up to, I think, six breeds. Mm-hmm. Most of the time we had about six breeds we were uh, working on at any one time, and they all require their own housing right? to keep them separate from the other breeds. Now, because we were selling all these baby chicks, we found out that the people that were buying the chicks really didn't know how to raise them. Yeah, people were excited about having chickens, mm-hmm. uh, but they just kind of jumped right into it like, okay, I'll go get the chicks, and then someday I'll learn how to raise them, <laughs> Yeah, which we make fun of. Uh, but we make fun of it because that's kind of how we started too. I won't go into that whole story, but exactly, we and weren't exactly ready when we picked up our first batch either. And fortunately, the guy that we bought our uh, first set of chickens from really took a lot of time to educate us. So we thought, you know, every time someone buys chicks, we're standing here for two hours educating them about the different food and all this, and it gets overwhelming and they forget. And then... S- you know, people started saying, you know, I wish there was a class out there. So again, Don's light bulb went off and we went, why can't we do a class? Yeah. The local cooperative extension down here does a nice job of having chicken classes, but they might do one a year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, unfortunately it's, it's not a knock on them, but the only way you can do this is really to like get everybody in a big classroom, put up the PowerPoint slides and that's a tough way to learn. It is. It's and a really tough way. We just like the idea of small class sizes and hands-on. Mm-hmm. So that's what we did. And it's just amazing to me because when we started, I kind of did it a little bit tongue-in-cheek. You know, it actually almost started off as a joke. Yeah. But we, the more we got thinking about it, I was like, we can do this. And then when we had the first couple ones, people were just, they really received it well. Mm-hmm. And people got really excited about it. And I keep saying, well, we're going to run out of people who want to do it, but we never do. That's right. You know, it's a little slower this time of the year. You know, the big classes are in the spring Mm -hmm. and the classes this time of year tend to be a little slower because people aren't thinking about chickens as much. But, you know, we we've never had a class where it's like, oh, no, we just don't have people. Right. So the next evolution in our little farm here was that we decided to start the podcast. Mm -hmm. 
we had people that really wanted to attend our class, but because we only have them on the weekend, so many people weren't able to attend. And they would always say, oh man, I wish you'd do it during the week or I wish you, you know, whatever. And it's like, well, this is a nice way we can get the information out to a lot more people. So if you're keeping track, that's an awful lot of stuff going on in Don and Susie's chicken world. I really wish we could also have a life. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Between feeding and watering and checking and repairing and quarantining and classes and podcasts, you kind of forget about, you know, doing other things. Uh, so we sat down just recently and we're like, listen, we need to simplify because I don't know how long I can continue on this crazy trail. So that's why if you kind of take a look at this entire calendar year, I don't think we've ever done two podcasts back to back, you know, week to week. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's ever happened this entire year. Well, and it's always one of those things where, okay, well, let's just get past this and then we'll get back on track and be able to do a podcast every week. Or, you know, once we do all the repairs to the coops, then, you know, da da da. But something always keeps coming up. Yeah, it's always that if I can just get past this one thing, then everything will smooth out and we'll be on schedule. Mm hmm which is ridiculous. Right. (laughs) Life just doesn't seem to happen that way. (laughs) Right. So a few weeks back, we decided to sort of admit to ourselves that we cannot do everything that we have on our plate now Mm -hmm. and do them all really well. Right. So don't anybody panic. We're not quitting the podcast. (laughs) We are not doing any more podcasts. (laughs) This is it. Goodbye. (laughs) So we took some time and we redefined our priorities You know, we really love everything we do. I love all the different chicken breeds and I love spending time with the chickens and doing the podcast and answering Facebook messages and all that stuff. But we really sat down and made some tough decisions. And the only thing that made it easier is we did this over dinner. Yes. Always make big decisions over a nice meal. (laughs) Exactly. And so we had to kind of figure out, you know, there's a lot of little goals going on here. One is providing ourselves with eggs. Mm Mm-hmm. One is selling baby chicks and then educating people. And we had to decide what is the core thing we love about our chicken experience. Mm -hmm. I think we just really quickly came to the decision is like, we like the education part. Right. We like teaching people about chickens. And getting them excited and helping them realize that it seems intimidating, but it's really not all that complicated. Just jump in and try it. You know, it's, it's always cool when someone says, I listened to your podcast And now I feel like I'm confident enough to get chickens. That to me is really cool. But the weird thing is that the core, like the cornerstone of the education component of this whole thing is the podcast. Mm -hmm. And the podcast is always getting done last. Right. And on a if time available basis. Mm -hmm. Which is kind of weird if that is the core of what we want to do. Well, I always feel so guilty because people, you know, when it's been two weeks, you start getting those messages on Facebook like, hey, where are you guys at? Uh, really missing you. <laughs> and you start feeling really, really guilty. And you're like, okay, so what are we going to give up? What is it that we're going to have to drop so that we can be really good at the thing we enjoy the most? So basically, we decided we need to make two major changes in our operation to make this thing work. Mm-hmm. First, I need to win the lottery so I can stay home and do all this stuff. I think that solves all the problems. So, number one. Okay. So, while Susie's working on that, (laughs) my first step is that basically we're going to pare down our breeding operation. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily 
in as many chicks as we do because if you're going to do a few, it really is not a lot more work to do a bunch right? as far as the number of chicks. But what does make it more work is the number of breeds that we are reproducing. Mm-hmm. So we've decided that instead of producing six different breeds of chicks, we're going to pare that down to three. Mm-hmm. And the thing about that was when I said, why don't we go down to just selling three breeds? Susie was like, right on board. Yes, absolutely. That would be awesome. Let's only sell three breeds. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, okay, which three? <laughs> well, then that next part took about 40 minutes to try and figure out. Because it's like, how do you decide? Because we like the different breeds for different reasons. So how do you nail it down to just three? Right. Because we had, let's say, Rhode Island Reds, Delawares, yep. Buff Brahmas, yep. Bard Rock, Gold Lace Wyandots, mm-hmm. um, Dark Cornish. That's the six. And they're all really have their own positives and negatives. So it's like, okay, how do we weed these down now? Or how do we pair these down now? Yeah. We started on the, which are the absolute must-haves? Mm-hmm. Well, there was no debate at all the fact that we wanted to keep our Golden Lace Wyandots. Absolutely. Yeah. They're the very first breed we had. Mm-hmm. I think they're the most beautiful chickens there are. And they're the friendliest breed we've ever had. I mean, out of all the chickens that have come and gone, they are the friendliest. Even the roosters are like sweethearts. Well, and actually they have good egg production too. Mm-hmm. Their hatch rate is really high and um, they keep cranking out them eggs. So they're staying. Yeah, that was there's no debate on that. <laughs> so then the next one we decided to keep was the Bard Plymouth Rocks. Mm-hmm. So that really nailed down two of the three open slots. Mm-hmm. So that left us with having to pick one breed out of the remaining four right. to make it into the final round. Mm-hmm. That was a tough one. Well, we've had the Rhode Island Reds. I think they were the third breed we got because people in our area knew the Rhode Island Red. They knew that name. So they would come in and they would say, ooh, I know they're good layers. I want Rhode Island Reds. So we says, well, let's keep them because they seem to be really popular. Yeah, they definitely sell quickly. People are looking for them actively. Uh-huh. The thing I just don't care about the Rhode Island Reds is they're just not very friendly. You know, right. The roosters get very aggressive. Personally, I can deal with that part. But you know, the people we sell to are not people who are trying to start a mini farm. Right. The people we sell chicks to are the ones who want a little flock in their backyard and their kids are going to be back there playing with them. And it's like, you know, they're not going to keep the roosters, but the hens aren't that friendly either. They're not True. aggressive, mm-hmm. but the hens are just very flighty. They're, they, you know, no matter how much you try and bribe them with treats, they don't want to come to you that often, you know? Right. <laughs> They're like, no, you just drop it on the ground and back away and then I'll come get it. <laughs> and so that's not what we really wanted to be providing for people to have in their backyard flocks. Mm-hmm. So we decided to get rid of the Rhode Island Reds. We sold those. Uh, so we had the Buff Brahmas, the Dark Cornish, and the Delawares left. The Dark Cornish and the Buff Brahmas we had gotten for Don's Meat Project. Yeah, they were never really serious to be raising them for, you know, to sell locally. The mm-hmm. Dark Cornish is really more of a meat bird, which is not in big demand. And the Buff Brahmas, although I think they're beautiful. Yeah. And actually, the the weird thing is we're I think we're going to keep two of those hens just as sort of in our layer flock. Mm-hmm. Just because I like looking at them. But, <laughs> you know, they're big birds that are meant more for meat and they don't lay a lot of eggs. So those aren't ones you're going to really produce for the backyard a lot either. Mm-hmm. So that just left the Delawares. And... This batch of Delaware hens that we have are about the friendliest to us that yeah. I have ever seen. Yeah. I mean, 
they don't care for the dogs. They don't <laughs> they don't like them at all. They right. kind of run the dogs off, which is kind of funny. But um they're sweet. So we said, okay, we got the gold lace, we got the Bard Plymouth Rock, and let's keep the Delawares. So there's the three that we're gonna continue breeding moving forward. Mm-hmm. This actually reduced our flock from 40 chickens down to 25, which has already been much easier to care for. Okay, now the second major decision we made was to really cut down on the number of the hands-on chicken classes that we do in our backyard. Right. And you might say, well, that's weird because you kind of identified educating people about chickens as one of your main purposes. So why on earth would you stop doing the hands-on classes? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Now, with our backyard chickens class, we have a maximum number of 10 people. Once you get more than 10, you know, you're kind of losing that. Everybody gets to handle a chicken and, you know, you go from a four-hour class to like a 12-hour class, you know. And, you know, you get more out of it when it's a smaller group. So we're like, okay, well, even if we did a class every weekend, when we were doing them every month, but even if we do one every weekend, that's still a maximum of 40 people that you're able to impact. Whereas the podcast, we're able to reach thousands of people at a time, and we found it as a more effective use of our time. Right, and that's the problem is that we were doing more hands-on classes to reach fewer people, <laughs> and the podcast is suffering, which reaches the most number of people. Right, right. So in other words, we were not acting very bright. <laughs> So that's what we decided. We're going to cut back on the in-person classes, uh, simplify our flock, and we're shifting our priority back to the podcast. So hopefully you find that as good news. (laughs) I hope so. We're not offering a money-back guarantee that'll be absolutely every week at this time, but that is our goal is to get back on a weekly schedule because, Mm -hmm. you know, we think that's what's appropriate. Well, and hopefully the rains will die down a little bit and you won't have to mow the lawn twice a week. So that'll help too. (laughs) Yeah, I don't have any control over that part. Well, and speaking of mowing the lawn, I think it's about time you get out there because it's ready for a cut. (laughs) Yeah, I'm looking out the window here. And I think I've watched it grow a half inch while we were recording this. <laughs> well, as always, thank you for listening. If you like the show, consider going to iTunes and giving us a really nice rating over there. And also, tell a friend to get them listening. And if you want to see the show notes for this episode, go to onlinechickenschool.com slash the number 51. Well, that's all for today. Talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Online Chicken School Podcast. Look for us on the web at onlinechickenschool.com.